So, for a long time, there's been two schools of thoughts when it comes to how we attend Sunday morning, as far as for our corporate style of worship. Uh, the first approach has always been, uh, come as you are. Come as you are, you know, you just be, your, be yourself uh, for God, don't try to be fake. And so that's a, that's a very popular approach even right now, to come as you are. The, the second approach, which has been popular for a while, is to be your best for God. So you show up to church, uh, you look your best, you dress your best, kind of like you are, you're going on a job interview with God and you want to you know, dress to impress. And so these, for a long time, have been the two more popular, most popular uh, approaches when it comes to uh, a corporate style worship. Uh, if I'm honest, for me, probably the one I've talked the most about is the be your best for God approach. Uh, not because I have any like theological backing or, you know, scriptural, you know, stance on it. It's just usually when I tell a brother to be his best for church, he usually showers. So I feel like we all win in that scenario. So that's what I've been going with. But uh, today, however, I want to introduce a new approach, something that I'd like us to try, just like we're doing this with the app this morning. And, And it's an approach not just necessarily for Sunday mornings, but for every day of our life. And the third approach is a life of pure desperation. The approach of pure desperation. In this approach, we are coming to God with the heart that we cannot live without Him. We cannot function without Him. We cannot do anything at all without Him. So in the context of coming to church, I think... When I think of a prayer being spoken, during that time, our hearts and our minds are focused on every word as if we as a whole were pushing this prayer up to heaven. Just complete focus. When songs are being sung, we're singing for one, but not just singing, singing from our whole hearts, regardless of what we sound like. And we sing so powerfully because we know we're standing right in the presence of God as as he looks on and observes. When scriptures are being read, we are listening so intently like God was giving us the very directions to our life right now, standing in front of us. And, And I think my hope is, is through that approach, we no longer see God as someone out there or up there, but God becomes someone who is directly in front of us that we are looking always to please. So today I want to focus on this idea of being completely desperate before God. And again, not not just on Sundays, which I I do believe is important, but also every day of our life. And, And not just as individuals, but as a church as a whole. So the title of my lesson this morning is Fellowship of the desperate. You know, the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings movie was extremely popular when it came out. Uh, even today, I know many of you have taken the time to sit down and watch all three in a row. Yeah. Extended edition. Good for you. <laughs> but one of the things that, you know, the understanding of this movie is they believe the task in front of them could not be accomplished if not done all together. 
They understood that. This, every person had their part to play as they worked toward the collective of getting the task accomplished. It's been out for a while, but whatever, I won't spoil it. So as we focus on being desperate people for God, I think you have to understand, yes, it's an individual battle, but it's something you cannot do alone. You need everybody pulling their weight and that's what we are going to be focusing on today. Go to Mark chapter 10, or it's right there in your app. So Jesus was traveling, and on his journey, he ends up going through Jer- Jericho. It doesn't sound like this was his, his stop. It just sounded like this is where he was going through. And, and Jericho is most popular known for a, a city whose walls fall down when music's played. Okay, that's, that's what they're most known for up to this time. But in Jesus' day, Jericho had become something a little bit greater. Uh, Herod the Great rebuilt the city and he transformed it into a popular resort town. It wasn't far from the Jordan River and uh, excuse me, the Jordan River crossing and it welcomed many tourists. And so when I conjure up an image of what this must have looked like, to me, it was a a sign where they were striving to be an upper class. Uh, They were trying to be uh, up uh, high society. This was the effort that was being put in. And so this is what Jesus is walking into Mark 10 verse 46. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, Timaeus Jr., was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So this is a very radical scene. Here we have this upper class, this tourist town, this high society, and a poor beggar is sitting by the side of the road. So being of of lower stature, this this beggar in society would not have been looked at and loved. Because in a sense, he was ruining the town image. In fact, we'll see here in a moment, as, as Jesus is walking by, he begins to shout out, and the people's first response is not to help him, but to tell him to be quiet. No, 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 shh, shh, you're ruining our image. Knock it off. And to make matters worse, this man was not just a beggar, he was blind. Now, blind people in that time were thought of as worse off than others because they believed that their blindness was a result of sin, either their own or of their parents. And we see this in John chapter 9, when Jesus meets another blind man, the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned? Was it, was it him or was it his family? And this, so this was well known, that if you were blind, you or your family had done something wrong. So here we have a blind man who's begging, who's in a town where he's not welcome, who's outcast, who's unloved, and then Jesus walks by. This man was desperate. He was in a town that was disobeying the Levitical law of loving and helping the poor because they were more concerned about how they looked than about what God thought. He was in a town that was trying to be something that maybe they necessarily weren't. They were upper class, and so they they were rejecting a lower stature. And not only was he blind, or not beggar, but he was blind. This man was desperate, he was hurting. Bartimaeus Bartimaeus was unloved, unwelcomed, unappreciated. He was desperate. And then Jesus shows up. Not only did he know Jesus' name, 
but he knew Jesus' title. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And he, and he says so in, in how he calls for him. He doesn't just say Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David. He knew that the title of the, the Messiah would come from the line of David. And he starts to yell, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man knew who Jesus really was. He had heard the stories. Obviously, he hadn't seen them, but he had heard the stories. He had heard about Jesus performing miracles. He heard about Jesus loving the lower class, loving the outcasts, loving the people that were unloved. He heard these stories, and he thought this was his chance. Finally, someone that will love me. So he begins to call out, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. Jesus, help me. You're, you're my only hope. You're all I have. Jesus, and he just wouldn't stop. And look, in verse 48, this is how the people reply. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. <clears throat> Timaeus Jr. is crying out, and people are telling him, to be quiet. This is a nice place. <laughs> we don't ruin what we've got going on here. People come because they, they want to see what we've got. You're ruining our vibe. Don't scare away the travelers. Even worse, you know many of them are probably thinking, dude, you're blind. <laughs> you're sinned. You, you, we already showed you God doesn't love you. Either you or your family sinned and you're being punished for this. That was... That was the feeling. That was the thought. And so then we have Timaeus. Instead of being silent, he cried all all the more. And look what he says. He says, Messiah, have mercy on me. He's no longer shouting Jesus' name. He's shouting who he really is. He's, He's not kind of all in. He knows this is the son of God. You're my only hope. Help me. Help me. Jesus' name is not mentioned in his second screaming. Son of David, help me. This blind man was desperate. And there wasn't anything that anybody was going to do to stop him from connecting to his Savior. You know, it's interesting. Oftentimes, when we read stories, whether in the scriptures or or novels, we we tend to place ourselves in a character's shoes. Right? We see a situation and we try to identify, oh, this kind of reminds me of, of me. You know, as I look at my children, my wife and I are always looking at them going, oh, that's kind of like you. Oh, that's kind of like my uncle. Okay, this kind of, and you're, you're trying to find traits where you compare your children to yourselves or your family. And I think we do that oftentimes when we look at you know, the scripture. Okay, who do I identify with? Yeah. My question is, when you look at this story of a blind man crying out for God, do you identify with the blind man or the townspeople trying to silence him? Mm-hmm. See, I think our, our first instinct is goes, oh, for sure, I identify with the blind man. I'm, I'm desperate. I, I'm hurting. But are we really that desperate to find God? Mm-hmm. Are, are we not allowing others to silence us because we just, we just can't help but want to connect? Or are we the people telling other people to be quiet? You're kind of an embarrassment. When I look at the townspeople, this is what blows my mind. They weren't embarrassed by Jesus. They weren't unloving towards Jesus. In fact, it was the opposite. They welcomed him. People followed him around. You know, he, he drew a crowd. They liked his show stories. 
I'm sure they liked his miracles. They were pretty keen on those things, right? Most people, when you get healed, you feel pretty good about the person that does that, right? They, they overall liked Jesus. But they were not desperate for him. They were not calling out to him. They liked the idea of Jesus, but not Jesus himself. I believe Christians today like Jesus. Otherwise, they wouldn't call themselves Christians. You guys with me on that, right? I I think they like Jesus. But they like Jesus in the format that's going to fit their needs. That's going to fit in their world. They like Christ if it's in their style of musical worship. They like Christ as long as the preacher doesn't ask them to do anything, right? I apologize. Amen. (laughs) They like Christ, but they don't desperately feel like they need him. How desperate are you for Christ? Do you understand that you cannot function without him? You know, there's a scripture that's been bugging me recently. You guys ever done this? You read something, you're like... That's not what that means. I really hope that's not what that means. Because <laughs> that means I'm going to have to change my life a little bit if that's what that means. And then you're like, that's probably what it means. You know, I mean, so, so there's a scripture recently that, that had been bugging me. And it's going to be in Romans 1. And, and Paul's writing to a church that he's never actually met here. <clears throat> and in fact, none of the apostles that we know of have met this church. I mean, it was just planted uh, through people being scattered. And Paul wants to go and, and he's writing this. And Romans 1 verse 11, it says, I long to see you. Paul is pouring his heart out here. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I've had among the other Gentiles. So Paul's telling them he, he wants to be there. Hey, I've tried to get there. And whatever it is, I, I've just been prevented. He goes, I want to be there. And I want to be in the fight with you. I want to have a harvest among you. I want to go out and fight for lost souls with you. And, and, he, and he, he's pouring his heart. It's almost as if he's a little apologetic. Hey, I wanted to be there, I'm, but I'm coming. Don't worry, I'm coming. And then he says this in verse 14. I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So he's pouring out his heart here. He's like, look, I've wanted to come. I'm desperate to be with you. And I'm super eager. And here's why. Because I'm obligated. To Greeks and non-Greeks. Some translations have it. I'm in debt to both the Greeks and the barbarians. What a weird phrase. Paul is telling the church in Rome that he owes something to them and to the sinners of this world. He's in debt to the people who are in sin in this world. And he says he's eager to pay it. What does he owe them? Paul's telling the church he owes these people and the lost souls Jesus. And he's eager to pay that debt. He feels compelled to want to pay that debt. Paul was eager. He was desperate to communicate Christ to as many as possible. When we look at the blind beggar, he was desperate to be with Christ. 
When we see Paul, we see him desperate to communicate Christ to a lost world. The Jesus movement is that a one of desperation. The way we receive it and the way we explain it. Desperation. See, but many of us, my fear, is that we don't want to look weak. We don't like the idea of presenting ourselves as desperate. So instead of being desperate, we just accept Jesus the way it's worldly acceptable. In a casual way. Or or maybe we even fall to the point of being minimally faithful. I'll I'll follow Jesus as long as, you know, I'm not really required to do that much. I'm so grateful that we have a father who desperately loves us and is not minimally faithful to us. You know, it's interesting. When our world gets difficult, for us in this room, usually the first person we blame is God. But the world in our eyes is never at fault. It's always God's fault, even though the world has presented this sin. But God was the reason you gave in. And we tend to blame God, even though he's the one who's been here the whole time, loving us and looking out for us. And I think you've got to evaluate it. If God's always the first person you blame when things go wrong, why is that? And I think that's something we've got to evaluate in our characters. The scriptures say, he who has ears, let him hear. You know, I was reading something earlier this week that, that convicted me out of a spiritual book. And there's this question that was asked when it comes to God and his word. And the question was, am I a receiver or a reproducer? <clears throat> Meaning, when I read or hear God's word, am I listening to absorb or am I listening to change and help Others to change. And this convicted me because, you know, I've been I've been taking my free time and listening to some biblical lectures and, and trying to understand more and gain uh, more of a historical context of the word and trying to basically grow in my knowledge and understanding. And it's been very insightful. And I believe it's been very helpful as I as I read the scriptures with fresh eyes. But what I ask myself is, what good is it if I learn all this knowledge and say nothing? If I read the scripture, if I, if I gain this new wisdom and insight and then keep it to myself, honestly, it becomes meaningless. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's great. <laughs> I'm learning more, but, it, but it's meaningless if I keep it to myself. And honestly, it ends up just being a waste of time. The Bible, the gospel, Jesus, these things were, were meant to be shared. And not just casually communicate it, but from a place of desperate need to talk about it and to learn about it. To change our hearts, change our culture, and change the world we live in. Paul saw this as a debt that he owed the lost. And I think that's a heart worth imitating. Desperate. I owe this. If I don't pay this, I will lose everything. And you know what the cool thing about all this is Jesus, when he sees us with this heart, he goes, you get it. I will take care of you. I want to take care of you. I've just been waiting for you to want it. And we see this in Mark 10, verse 49. Jesus stopped him, 
so they stopped and called, uh, called to Timaeus Jr. He says, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I just want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus says, go, and he says, no. (laughs) I'm here with you because I get it. I get it. Jesus called this man, and he came running. The blind man running. Picture that image in your mind, if you will, for a moment. It looks probably pretty wild. Do you think he cared what anybody thought? No, we already heard him yelling. The people are quieting him down. And then Jesus rebukes the people and they're like, oh yeah, go ahead, man, go ahead. We've seen what you can do. This blind man comes running. And he says, look, he doesn't say you're healed. He says your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. So once his sight was restored, Bartimaeus only had one option. I got to follow. I got to follow. I have no other options because I was blind and now I see. I was a nobody. I was an outcast in a city where I was unloved. And this man loved me where I was. I have no other options but to give everything I have to Jesus. You know, what I've realized through all these is if we are desperate to have a relationship with God, we will never be desperate for anything else. You know, it's interesting because when his eyes were open, he could see a very pretty town. He could see an upper-class society, a town that would probably now welcome him because he was no longer in sin in their eyes. But he avoided all that to focus on the only thing that was important, the only thing that mattered. You know, at one point it says he, he ran to him, his, his cloak, he tossed it to the side. He didn't care what he looked like. He didn't care what anybody else in this society thought. He only cared about what Jesus thought. We as a church need to avoid the thought that we can casually approach Christ and realize the only way to connect is to desperately cry out for him. We must prostrate ourselves as we fall down on our knees and beg God for a relationship with him. God, I I got nothing. uh, This week on my mind was the, the prayer of the Pharisee and the tax collector where the tax collector prays at a distance, falls down, can't even look up, and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. He understood who he was before God, and and God glorified that prayer, and he blessed that prayer. I think for us, it's not about our fine choice of words. It's not about our amazing, you know, skills that we have on ourselves, whether it's playing a musical instrument, which is wonderful, and I believe it's needed, or, you know, whether it's how, who's got the best voice as we read the passages. No, it's, it's none of that. All that matters is that we are desperately trying to have a relationship with our Lord and Savior. And what I love about this is when we are weak, Christ makes us strong. When we are most desperate, Christ is the one who empowers us. And we can do a whole lot more with his strength than with our own. Amen. Amen. So we're going to approach God as desperate people. What is that going to look like? Well, number one, desperate disciples never give up fighting for a relationship with Jesus. We see in the story, the blind man would not be silenced. He was going to do whatever was needed 
And whatever needed to be done to get Jesus' attention. He was going to scream. He was going to yell. He was going to let people tell him to be quiet. He was just going to keep at it until Jesus looked. And so when I look at that and I apply this to my life, I go, there is nothing that should ever get in the way of me crying out to my God. Nothing that should ever get in the way of me saying, God, you are priority. And you know what? Oftentimes it's interesting, like I talked about earlier, sometimes our first thought is to push God to the side. He's the first thing to go when life gets hard. Well, maybe if I free up my time by not going to church or not reading my Bible or not doing the spiritual things, that would save me a lot of extra time so I can focus on the things of this world. But desperate disciples never give up fighting for a relationship with Jesus. Number two, desperate disciples never never blame Jesus or others for their issues. The blind man never blamed Jesus for his shortcomings, but instead he just wanted him to heal him. I mean, think about how that conversation would go. He's yelling to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He walks up to Jesus and he goes, hey, this is your fault. I don't know if that would have been a, a healing conversation. You know what I'm saying? Well, okay, well, have a good day. You know, I mean, like, what do, what do you want me to do with that? He didn't blame Jesus. He didn't blame the townspeople. God, why did you put me here in this town where nobody loved me? No. As soon as he caught eyes with Jesus, and as soon as he was connected, God, I just want to see. And I know you're the one who can help me. I've got my issues, but God, I know you're the one who can help me. You know, one issue we can often have is, blaming Jesus for our own trials instead of asking him to be with us in our trials. Jesus, it's your fault. I'm in this. No, pretty much your fault. But, you know, but, but yet we, we blame Jesus. And, you know, it's interesting. We're going to do a deep dive uh, in our midweeks on uh, Genesis and our Wednesday nights. And when we look at Adam and Eve, when God asked Adam, hey, why'd you eat from the fruit of this tree? He goes, the woman did it. And he goes, okay, woman, why'd you eat from the tree? The serpent made me do it. And we see this pattern from like day one of blame shifting. It's it's not my fault. It's their fault. You know the funny thing about that passage, if you go back and read it, the serpent actually never said to eat the fruit. That was what they concluded from their own thoughts. You know, we do this with ourselves. When we have our issues, we start to blame people. Hey, bro, why are you in sin? Jeff made me do it. Sorry, I don't know. I'll just a general apology now. My bad, right? But, but, but we, we do that. Because he said this to me. Okay, amen. Well, because this scripture told me to do that. Uh, did you do it? Well, no. Amen. Yeah, I mean, but we do this. We, we pour out our blame on, uh, on people above us, our peers who are trying to love us, on God himself, because we come up short. Desperate disciples never blame Jesus or others for their issues. They ask Jesus to walk with them. They ask people to be in their lives and help them overcome their unbelief. They take ownership of their own mistakes and they learn how to rely on Jesus more and more. Number three, and finally, desperate disciples are not ashamed to be desperate. The blind man was going to yell till Jesus heard him. He didn't care that people were trying to silence him. He didn't care what he looked like so much so that he left his cloak or threw it to the side and he was a crazy man running, not really knowing where to go, just having people help him. 
All he cared about was one thing, and it was, it was getting to Jesus. You know, I think we've got to understand it's okay to be desperate. In fact, it's, in my opinion, the only way to be. Desperate disciples are not ashamed to be desperate. They're not afraid to ask for help when they don't know an answer. They're okay saying, I don't know, I, I want to learn, help me overcome my disbelief. I, I just want to connect with God. Show me. They don't look at it as, well, I've got to make my stand. No. There are things you don't know until you know them. And I think asking for help is the only way to do it. Yeah. You know, as we approach God, let us not pretend to be something we are not. Yeah. Let us not settle for where we are at. Let us not just try to be our best or let us not just, well, this is who I am, God. But let's fall on our knees and go, God, I, I'm nothing without you. Yeah. I need you. I cannot function without you. And I believe when we do this, when we have this heart, God will never leave us hanging. In fact, I think we'll start to understand more and more how much he loves us. Amen. Amen. Thank you.